This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. I am Zach Moore. And I am Haley Stoddart. And today on Standard Orbit, we are going to be talking about Diana Muldar from TOS. That's right, Dr. Pulaski herself. Before she was Dr. Pulaski, Diana Muldar was in two episodes of the original series. And we thought we'd highlight this because everybody knows, I mean, I'm going to say everybody knows her as Dr. Pulaski, but in Star Trek fandoms, right, if you think Diana Muldar, uh, you think Dr. Pulaski because she played her for a full season. But the whole reason... She was on TNG is because, you know, Gene Roddenberry was looking for a doctor uh, to replace Gates McFadden when she left in season one. Uh, that's a tale for another time. And I think well, I don't think we've ever got the real story on why she left, but she came back and everybody was happy and all that good stuff. But for season two, they needed a new doctor. And Gene Roddenberry and Diana Muldar had become friends due to working together in the 60s on Star Trek. And she was a guest star in two episodes. Now, now Ken, take us back, man, to the end. This is why I always okay. Ken, take us back to the 80s, Me. right? You're, you're, watching, the 80s. <laughs> you're watching TNG. And mm-hmm. they have a new doctor, and it's Diana Meldar. And you're like, whoa, did you recognize her? Did you think it was a good replacement? Like, did, 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 did these episodes, did these original series episodes come to mind when you oh, saw yeah. the new doctor, Dr. Pulaski? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If she, you know, both the roles that she played in both Return to Tomorrow and Is in the Truth and No Beauty. I guess I screw up that title. But anyway, yes, definitely. We knew who she was. Uh, at least I did as soon as she popped on. And there was a lot of talk about it, too. I think. Uh, there was a lot of excitement, quote unquote, when she was announced uh, before the series came on in season two. I know there were a lot of questions about Crusher, but not that many. Uh, you know, not as much as you thought. The the whole plot line there kind of stalled a little bit when, you know, Wesley was still on the ship. But that is not the show we do here. We're a TOS team. So anyway, the um, yeah, I, I would say absolutely. We all knew who she was. And she very quickly assumed the role of a Dr. McCoy, and that's that's how she was looked at, I believe, at the time. And it was nice to have that, that connectivity there in the beginning. I, I know that there's a lot of controversy about her character and her role on TNG, but she was considered definitely a, um, a pretty solid TOS you know, guest star. Uh, there were quite a few, I think, that could be another show, how many people came back 
either in different roles on TOS. I think that could be a, a good subject on its own. But she stood out. She definitely stood out. And she this is her third Doctor on Star Trek because she plays Doctor Anne Mulhall in Return Tomorrow and Doctor Miranda Jones and isn't right. the truth nobody she has she has like the honorary Starfleet <laughs> MD Diana Maltar does every time she's on Star Trek you know I never put that together I didn't catch that did you Haley I never caught that no not until now that you said it so we'll so we'll kind of go through it here we'll talk about Return Tomorrow first because that was her first appearance so uh, Anne Mulhall Lieutenant Commander. Animal Hall, which is the highest ranking, as Ken salutes there, uh, as the highest ranking Absolutely. female crew member on the Enterprise in the original series, which which is like, oh, I, I guess they're right, because you have Lieutenant Uhura, you know, and then you have Yobins here and there. We have other lieutenants, like Lieutenant MacGyvers and uh, Lieutenant Monroe from Mirror Mirror, you know. But Lieutenant, the, the coveted uh, full stripe and half stripe, you know, she got it on her, on her sleeve there. Uh, and on a red uniform, which I thought was interesting, her being a, a science officer, huh? Yeah, exactly. I, my thought on this is that you're, you've got her, you've got Bones and Spock and Kirk. So in order to make her stand out, even though she's really the only woman in most of the scenes, they got to put her in red so that she stands out against the male characters. But she should have been in blue. If she's an astro, what was it, astrobiologist? Is that what Yeah, I believe so. If she's an astrobiologist, she's going to be in blue because that's science division, not red. Anyway. No, I absolutely agree with you, Haley. I think it was all for color distribution. You know, on that landing party, you have Kirk, you have Spocky McCoy, as you always do. And then if you had her in blue, too, it'd be like, whoa, where's he? what do you mean? Throwing Scotty to mix up some red in there? I don't know. But, uh, but no, I, I understand why they did it. Much like, you know, talk about next gen, right? Everybody, they switched around colors. Data should be wearing blue. If he's the science officer, but he's really the ops officer, I don't know. But anyway, Blue doesn't look good with white skin, apparently, and that's why Data wears green. So they're always they're always making creative. It drives the fanboys crazy when we, we you know we sit down, uh, the professionals and fans. We try to figure out, make sense of this whole uniform thing, and then they throw in a creative choice like that. And it just throws everything out of whack. But there you go. She's in red. Could she be an engineer as an astrobiologist? Uh, biology is more organic, I'd say. So. You know, I, I understand, but I, I work in medical device and, and we make medical products. I have a lot of people with uh, biology degrees, but they're they're in engineering. Um, it's Hey, it's a leap. I am quite in agreement with both of you as to why they did it. I'm sure it probably was very attractive for her to wear it. It definitely stood out. All of that stuff. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, okay, is there is there a Hail Mary in this? I don't know, to ha- kind of rescue her. But if not, that's okay. In that, I can see why in your field, Ken, they would be in engineering because, I mean, you can be a bioengineer, but an astrobiologist would, I mean, that's studying planetary biology. So it, it kind of wouldn't, I don't know. Yeah, hey, like I said, it was a reach. It was a reach. But anyway, yes, it should be blue. They definitely mixed up the colors. Really cool that she was a lieutenant commander. Uh, and, and this kind of goes back to other topics where I've had before where both in all of the Star Treks where they really get things wrong. Sorry, Amy Nelson. Counselors don't get to command ships. Doctors don't command ships. That's not what they're trained to do. They, they earn their rank within their field. And people that go through engineering and through, you know, operations, all that other stuff, the ones that have that command, I guess, aspiration or whatever, they have that track. 
so that would work. So you could see why she could be a lieutenant commander, but not really in the chain of command as far as fourth or fifth or sixth or somewhere in that line to take over the ship. Now, I had to look at the screenshots of, you know, because, you know, episode, mm-hmm. these the, the patches are small, right? And it's hard to see. So I was curious if, like, did she have a science insignia on her patch? But no, it's in, it's an operations engineering patch on that red uniform. So that continuity, at least, is preserved. So <laughs> There you go. There you go. Do you think it was Scotty's, just an extra one that he <laughs> yeah. had? It's one of the red shirts. They just pulled it off their dead body and slapped it on her uniform. That's all they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> so so her her introduction scene here is is interesting you know we have this this voice sargon is calling everyone down to the planet so mccoy spock and sargon, sargon. it, it yes. sounds like a like a sargon. power ranger villain or something so it's very <laughs> oh i thought it i thought it sounded like laundry detergent or something anyway <laughs> sargon with with oh was it was it was it bubble bath calgon take me away i don't know yeah. no. sorry folks i digress so so they go down to the transporter room and, and they're like they go in and they're talking to Scotty for a minute and you see you know Doctor Mulhall back there just standing by the transporter pad but no one really acknowledges her you know and then she says something all like they all turn around and they, they play that romantic music like oh. and it, it's interesting it recontextualizes Diana Moldar because you know uh, especially from you know younger person like me who had seen TNG a lot of it first I was like oh it's Doctor Pulaski oh but hey she used to be young and beautiful so now that she's not a beautiful older woman right I'm just saying she's they were playing up the fact that she's be- not so much oh you're I'm done it. you're I'm done. saying I'm pulling up <laughs> Facebook's <laughs> gonna kill you again here you go you're well, what, done what I'm saying is you know it's interesting they can t- especially I mean don't get me we're gonna get to is, is there in truth no beauty but we'll get to that next but you know they, they do play her up as a as a beautiful uh officer you know and and that's that, that's cool to see she's kind of like diana maldar is like the helen mirren of star trek for people didn't know that she was like 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 the young beautiful woman back in the back in the day that there she is that good recovery okay we'll toss you a line on that <laughs> one that helen mirren reference is going to probably save you a little bit you always you always walk down a difficult path with that i just you know and it's it is true right people mature and she 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 is uh, a very very handsome very attractive woman there's no doubt and I think the um, the roles that she played, uh, to me anyway, she, she has this very intellectual bordering on arrogant style in all three characters, which I find, find pretty interesting. And obviously she isn't herself very long in this first one in Return to Tomorrow, but she uh, even the way she says, well, I was ordered to be here. I'm not a liar. You know, things along those lines. Her... Her voice, uh, the way she, the way she acts, the way she—I um, I don't want to say the word behaves, but I just want to say she's very confident. And it's funny that she's, as you pointed out, Zach, very well that she's a doctor in all three. She comes across as she, she's very pretty, but she does come across as being very intellectual in all three roles as well. Well, Kirk, Kirk, like way to not know your crew. He's like, and who are you? <laughs> it's like she's part of your part of your crew man like lieutenant mcgivers what's her name get her down here like kirk show some respect for your officers man look at the duty roster man (laughs) so that's all i have to say well 430 people is not big for a ship and a lieutenant commander would be well known (laughs) as part of your staff whether they were you know in ops or whether they were in a um, a line officer role or a staff role so that is kind of a big miss i would say (laughs) unless she just arrived on tuesday let me guess tuesday so (laughs) You mentioned it, Ken. She's not herself, so to speak, uh, in this episode. She spends most of it possessed. The character of Doctor Mohal is possessed by Thalisa, 
that's another very another very science fiction name. And Henoch, right? <laughs> they they really went into the the sci fi handbook for for the names of these aliens. But uh, uh, I I felt like she had a really good character arc because she was you, you had Sargon over here, which is like the ultimate optimist, right? Like this planet had been destroyed, but he invented this little bunker they could all be in from the, from the both opposing sides of this war that destroyed their planet over here. And then you have Henoch over here who was just devious from the jump. You know, I, I love the way he says, like, uh, like when he gets Spock's body, he's like, oh, this body is much more, uh, uh, m- much more than just humans. I'm surprised the Vulcans didn't conquer you. And McCoy's like, we value peace above all. He's like, oh, yes, we do, of course, as well. <laughs> just little things like that. So, so you have these two polar opposites, but then you have Thalesa kind of in the center because, yes, she, of course, you would want to live in a quote-unquote real body than a mechanical body, right? And she struggles with that through the whole episode, and you have Henoch and Sargon kind of pulling on each side. And I like how she kind of goes back and forth on it because that is, that is a very natural reaction. It, it's, it's, it's more unbelievable for someone to just be so optimistic and altruistic that they say, no, no, you can have your bodies. We're going to have these feelingless, emotionless robots uh, I, I like that she had to struggle with that and even came to a head at the end with McCoy. She almost got a little too megalomaniac there and pulled like a, a Gary Mitchell on him there and, and sick babe. But then she kind of pulled back and said, no, no, this is wrong. We're not doing that. So that is a nice little arc for her uh, character in the episode. And I think Dana Maldar portrayed all that very well because that's a tough, tough line to walk because you don't know, am I supposed to root for this character, or root against her? Where exactly does she fall? But I think it was all very well executed and planned out. Having seen it so many times in this plot line kind of appear off and on, in both series wink wink nudge nudge it's just one of those things where you know when you when you rewatch it you're like yeah i've seen this many times you have to remember this was the first time and it was done well it was really done well now for the android thing though let's talk about that just for a second like consciousness swapping and possession and all that there's, there's in fact you know isn't the truth no beauty has some spock gets possessed by emotions again so that's that's interesting watching these episodes back to back like we did for this podcast it, you see a lot of similarities but I don't know, like, uh, we, they, we've we seen on TOS that they can make, I mean, obviously this is not Starfleet technology, it's like old alien technology they don't have, but they've seen androids before, they know what this is all about, like, like they were building some, I guess, pretty unsophisticated androids that they were just going to be shells that they couldn't feel and have emotion about and no sensory, you know, nets or whatever, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, if I had presented with the same choice that they had I, I wouldn't want to go on one of those bodies either i'd be like hey looking through your logs here i see you guys had found some other androids can we go look these guys up and maybe go possess them instead first you know 25 years between tos and tng and where it is today and you know how how we see things and how we view things the that fear of computers and technology was so real in the 60s just so real that they they, uh, there was obviously a piece of it where it's like the um the idea of artificial intelligence or 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 evolving past a certain level was just not something that people even wanted to to contemplate because it was going to be bad you know like the ultimate computer it's you know, it can't outthink a person. You can't, you know, and you had elements of that in TNG still, which I thought was still pretty funny, right? Because you, you still have planes going from Los Angeles to London, and the total pilot time, I think, is like 30, 30 or 35 minutes maybe of actual controls, and then the rest is doot doot, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's, well, I went off base from where you were going, but seems to be a, a obviously, this was a TOS trope. Uh, there would have been opportunities for them to do exactly what you're saying. How could we find someplace else where we could make this work? And um, I don't know. It's it's like I said. They, 
I liked the plot line. I liked how they played it. Uh, I, it, it seemed very natural and normal. And I, you know what? I, I don't know about you guys, but I love the echoing voices throughout the episode. I thought that was kind of cool, too. Yeah, I, it was interesting that at the beginning, Sargon's voice was James Dewan. Is that right? It is. It's James Dewan does the voice of Sargon. Although that first little bit when you listen to it, um, it sounds more like Shatner's voice. Then Sargon's voice for like a little bit in there when he's talking and telling them about stuff. I'm like, he's sounding like like Shatner, like Kirk, not Sargon. And then it goes back to sounding like Sargon. But yeah, it was James Dewan that did that voice. It's funny. I, I specifically waited and watched the credits, right? I wasn't smart enough to look up online much about the episode after watching it to see who did the voice because it reminded me of uh from the 78 79 i think it was 78 uh battlestar galactica the cylon imperial leader it's not, to me it just hit me i went is that the same guy and he was a very distinct english actor uh and and i when when it didn't come up in the uh the credits as to who the voice was i was i was a little bit lost but now that you say that it's like yeah well that's what Duhan does but he he did he did sound a lot like the the actor that that, that portrayed the the imperious leader i thought that was kind of funny if Shatner wouldn't have come back for the animated series, you just get James Doohan to voice him. Done. <laughs> so, <laughs> boy, he did everything else, and yeah, between him and uh, Nichelle Nichols, right? They did mm-hmm. all the voices. Um, now, one, one last note about Doctor Mulha here. Uh, I, I do think, and you know, as you mentioned, Ken, I love Star Trek Continues, so I, I do want to bring this up. Uh, they invented a new a new character, Doctor McKenna, for Star Trek Continues, and I feel like if they were just scanning just scanning through TOS, if they were going to pick a character for that character to be on continues, they could have picked Doctor Mulhall here, right? Because they're both doctors. Um, they both, especially that last scene is what got me. Like that, that kind of awkward. Like they're kissing and then they get unpossessed and they're still kind of embracing and it's a little awkward, funny moment there uh, between the two characters. Like there's a lot of that in continues with Kirk and McKenna and I'll Spock and McKenna as well. And I felt like, oh, this would be a cool. And it's weird because you, it's this fan service tightrope you walk. You're like, well, do we have any original ideas now in fan films? You know, but at the same point, it's like, well. well where this person come from? Why didn't you pick an established character? And obviously everyone's being recast in a fan film. So you don't have to worry about casting like that, but they, they did bring back characters like Dr. Mbenga for a couple episodes. And so I was just thinking like watching this episode, I thought, Oh, if Dr. McKenna had been named Dr. Mulhall for in Star Trek continues, it would have been pretty good continuity there. Of course she wore blue. So they maybe had to change her uniform color. But anyway, that's just something that was on my mind being a Star Trek continues fan that I am. I just wanted to throw that out there. I think it's a good call. I, I think that, uh, as you as you brought it up into the notes and 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 highlighted it, just I like the character. It's too bad that she didn't have a recurring role because uh, an astrobiologist would have come in handy on a few more missions, I believe. And she just had a, a you know she she had a good chemistry. Uh, yeah, she would she would have fitted nicely. I, I think she would have been a good addition. And I don't you know as far as continues and and that leap they had with the counselor and all it's like yeah okay but you're right it could have easily been picked up and and she could have been that same character and it wouldn't have missed a beat to go with that i stopped at my library and picked up some non-fiction star trek books and i was reading about her character she actually was not assigned to the enterprise it was kind of she was there in interim kind of in between assignments so she actually wasn't assigned to the enterprise so that's why we only get her in the one episode there we go that that's why that's why now i okay (laughs) now you know 
Pick, picked her up at Starbase 12, going to drop her off at Starbase 10, something like that. Gotcha. Okay. All right. I, gotta love it. The, the, the books, the fiction books and the nonfiction books, they're always filling these plot holes with an explanation. God bless them. I love it. So, so even though this character did not return, of course, Dana Meldar did herself return the next season uh, and is in their truth no beauty. That is a mouthful to say, and I've actually seen. We've talked about. Remember, we talked about titles way, way back. Ken, I think both these episodes were on the like confusing titles. What did these mean? So it was go, definitely yes. <laughs> go look yes. those up, people. Uh, I, I believe the episode was called by any other name uh, of the podcast, not to be confused with the episode of TOS called by any other name. <laughs> I have no idea what the episode number is. That's my Achilles heel of Star Trek trivia standard orbit episode numbers, but look it up, guys. We we have hey, a good it's, an old one. It. it's an old one. Yeah. It's an old one. It was done a while ago. It's an old one. It's it's a year and a half old at least. I can for sure. I can tell you where this comes from. It actually is um, comes from a uh, poem by George Herbert from the 17th century. Well, he's a Herbert, so what do we care? Yeah, well, I, and I think you brought that up in that in that episode that we did because we, we went back and we looked at what historically where they came from and then how did they apply and in this one in this episode it's a confusing title but the the message in the episode is not confusing at all Mm -hmm. in in fact it's so freaking bonk bonk on the head sorry guys (laughs) you know i was almost like really a couple of times watching this really how many times are they going to keep going back to this yeah i mean okay so yeah, it's not talking about me getting in trouble. Let's get this episode in trouble, right? They cannot get off the fact that that Miranda Jones is a beautiful woman. Like, oh, what a waste for such a beautiful woman to be around such ugliness. Like, they they, they really go down that path. Oh a my lot. gosh, I I really I like the episode, but when it comes to that scene and that little bit, I'm just like, I just want to smack every single one of them in the room and be like, you know what? It doesn't matter if she's a beautiful woman. <laughs> Let her do what she wants. She had the best line, though, when she went back at McCoy, mm-hmm. right? And, and saying, you know, well, here, here's to a physician who wants to surround himself by disease and suffering. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. It was a great retort. And even though it was a great retort, and they froze it on that retort, which I thought was great, and he, he didn't have much of a reply other than, you know, cheers. Um, it, it really did, I thought, it, it disarmed everything that had been said. And you would think at that point, okay, we're going to stop. But no, it keeps popping yeah. up over and over. Because she left the room and they're like, yeah, how about that Dr. Jones, huh? I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> but there's no time for love, Dr. Jones, because she's not having any of it. Uh, she, the, the engineer that she's been working with with the Medusans, like in love with her, no interest in the guy, right? And, the guy, he, and, and this, this dude is, is really pushy, you know? I mean, he, basically he goes to her and says like, I've done it here, I've done it there, I've done it on one knee and two knees, I don't know what I have to do. And then he, like, literally, he's like, can Kodos do Kodos? Messing up my Star Trek names, Kolos. I think there's a Klingon called Kolos somewhere, too, I don't know. But anyway, he's like, can you get something like this from Kolos? And he, like, kisses her, right? And it's like, God, man, like, take a hint. And she, she's really respectful about it, right? She's like, look, I've been honest with you from the start, I'm not interested, please leave me alone. So, again, a strong character who's not, you know, wilting at this guy coming onto her too strong, which I really respected from this character. You know, and and unfortunately, like, we have to find that balance, like, now in that, being a woman. And it's it's hard. It's like, if you go too far over the line and telling a guy off, then suddenly you're a bleep, 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 bleep. And I won't even say the words. I'll just bleep myself. 
But if you're not, if you're too soft, then they don't get the hint and they just keep coming at you. And it's like, so I respect that, you know, she was able to find that balance. My thing with this is if they had picked a character or made the character, even if it was Diana Moldar, if they made her not as beautiful, we probably wouldn't be having, they wouldn't have had this whole thing in the episode of all these men. And it just is ridiculous. And it's like, why? Because a beautiful woman can't choose her own path and like choose to do something, but it's totally fine for someone who's not as seen as not as beautiful. Oh, she can do what she wants. That's okay. She can hang out with these Medusans. That's totally fine. But she's really pretty, so she can't and she shouldn't. Like, like, oh, what a waste. Oh, like, <laughs> so the, the episode itself becomes it's a so dichotomy sexist. to me. Well, it was very sexist. The Like I said, the episode itself becomes a dichotomy to me. Yeah. Because you see, uh, first, her line back to, to McCoy was, was brilliant, and it, and it really just kind of negated everything they had said, and I know I said that before. The other part was the focus on Idik, and I thought mm, that yeah. that was, okay, you've got this element of real kind of you know mid-60s thinking we're starting to emerge you know you have this intelligent woman character and all this stuff who's able to retort and planning her own career but is still you know guys are ogling her and and thinking that it's ridiculous that she's doing it and at the same time you have the respect of spock who sees what she's doing admires what she's doing uh and you know and, and of course she she initially attacks him as if it's insulting that she's, you know, that she, he's wearing the Idic pen, and he's saying, "No, it's just the opposite. I wear it to honor you because of of what it stands for." So I found that, you know, half the episode I'm going, I'm cringing, thinking, "Ah, oh, you know," because I always like to defend TOS as much as I can, but there's sometimes you just can't, mm-hmm. and and that's fine. And then, but there's also points where you go, "It was so ahead of its time," and in that same episode, we had both. Yeah, to that point about. Miranda Jones, I I liked her interplay with Spock for the whole episode. You know, it was like this rivalry that she had kind of created for herself. Uh, again, Spock had no, you know, again, it's Spock. He's a Vulcan. He has no ego in all this, right? But she's like, ah, I heard that you turned down the assignment. She's like, you know, trying to fish for information there. And I like this rivalry that they have with each other because she had been trained by the Vulcans as a telepath. And I thought that was very interesting as well, her character here, uh, because you don't hear a lot about human telepaths in Star Trek. Other sci-fi shows, that's like a huge, like Babylon 5, right? That's a whole thing, human telepaths. But on Star Trek, it's like, oh, well, if you're a telepath, you're a Betazoid, or you're a Vulcan, or you're some other alien, right? But you're never, you never really hear, I mean, I'm trying to think about it. I don't think I have recall any other, on screen anyway, human telepaths in Star Trek. And, and the way they talk about, like, yeah, she had to be sent to Vulcan to learn to not only block out other people's thoughts, but her own thoughts, I thought that was a very, you know, fascinating, no pun intended, uh, angle for this character. Because, yeah, if you think about when you get born and you're turned on, you just hear everybody's thoughts, that'll drive you crazy. Uh, and so to have her go train with the Vulcans, and, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. They're the disciplined ones with telepathy and mental powers and whatnot. And she even, they're very inconsistent with Spock's telepathy. Sometimes he ha- he's a tactile telepath, as they say. You have to touch certain things. Other times he's, like, doing mind mails through walls and, and looks and stuff like that. So that kind of goes around but but with her she was just purely mental telepath and and i thought that was a really cool thing that obviously connected her with kolos and and uh that was such a huge thing in the episode and why she was threatened by spock because he was you know more compatible with with kolos and she was afraid that he was going to take her spot but it was never and it's nothing about like 
you, you know, she they were both competent. You know, and Spock respected her the whole time. And at the end of the episode, they have a mutual respect for each other, which is great. That's the journey they both go on through this episode. So they end up in a good place. And again, it's a nice little arc for for her character as well. So that's great that Diana Muldar, her characters both had these little arcs in the episode. Because sometimes guest stars, you know, they don't. They're just kind of there. They're the antagonist or the love interest or whatever. But both of her spots really had a nice character arc for her to play. Yeah, I, it is really interesting. And in her, I did like the development of her character in this episode more than I did in the previous one. So interestingly, though, uh, it wasn't going to be Diana Moldar. Jessica Walter was actually going to be dr jones but yeah uh, from arrested the- development fame everybody <laughs> yeah but i guess due to something else that she ended up being committed to diana moldar came back and actually i was reading she didn't want to return yeah and they, they, they disguised her you know with like darker hair that's why she has mm. this black wig in this episode so people wouldn't say like hmm she looks familiar and and this would have been way before it's time and and episodic tv they would never do this but it'd be funny if they like had hey she looks familiar like kirk and spock say something like that of course they wouldn't do that in episodic tv in the 60s but because we're way before meta jokes and tv shows and, and whatnot <laughs> but uh but that would have been funny like hey she, she looked kind of familiar to you no she's got one of those faces i guess but uh but, but, you know, the big thing about Dr. Jones is she's blind, all right? Uh, which, which for me, and I, I've told this story before on Standard Orbit, but I was watching this for the first time with my dad, and I was like, you know, this, I don't know, it's like 10 minutes in the episode, and she looks into his box, you know? And I'm like, well, how, well how can't, why, why can she do that? And my dad's like, well, yeah, she's blind. I was like, well, I haven't seen this, Dad. Thanks. I haven't watched it for 20 <laughs> years like you. So that, I saw, that was kind of spoiled for me. But I, I, what did you guys think of that? How did you, how did you think of the whole blind aspect played into the episode for a character? I was I was pretty young when I first saw the episode, and it caught me completely off guard, because um, obviously there there wasn't any telltale signs. She looks at people when they speak. There wasn't anything you know that 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 allowed me to kind of see that coming. So I thought it was a brilliant twist at the time. It really did. It's such a <laughs> it's tough after seeing it for so long, and you're watching the episode. You watch it differently once you know the twist, and you go back and you look at it. Right? I don't know how many times I've seen it. So no, I, I thought it was a a great. Like I said, this was this was, this was a season three episode, right? And it was a really good episode. It it, it had its flaws, um, but overall, I thought it was a a, a pretty cool sci fi story, and it had some some neat elements to it. And I thought that that flip was was pretty good because you didn't see it coming, you know, because she. She had the visor on, remember, when they beamed on, which I thought was kind of interesting. So I'm just saying there wasn't anything overt that, that made me think she she wasn't uh, able to see just fine. You know, just seeing it recently and now for the second time, uh, I was like, wait, what? She's blind? But, but, but wait, I'm so confused. <laughs> but then I love the, the they made that. Her outfit, how they made it to make it so that she could see. I thought that, like, from a science standpoint, is really, really kind of neat. She's getting Jordy one of those in the next generation. So, <laughs> but you know, they, they go out of their way to say that she couldn't. That's that's when McCoy finally steps up and says, "You can't pilot the ship. You're blind." Uh, and I liked how he, as he mentions, for her own, uh, you know, discretion, you know, he honored her privacy and didn't announce to everyone he was blind. But I like how the doctor of the ship knows that their, you know, VIP guest has a serious medical you know handicap uh being being blind and and kept that to himself that, that, that was a nice moment there because uh kirk and spock like, why didn't you tell us and it's like come on man you don't need to broadcast this stuff to everybody uh but you're right Haley. having it be like the sensor web that was a really cool idea and uh but i guess you know 
Although the visor isn't as cool as the sensor web for the Geordi wears in TNG, he is able to pilot the ship. So despite the technology um, maybe in theory being better on TOS with the sensor web, the visor, you know, definitely well, allows you to do more ship function. Geordi was born blind, but he wasn't blind. He just saw things differently. He saw it through a completely different spectrum. So there, he had things working through his visor into his head that allowed him to quote-unquote see. He saw things very differently. But what is saw. she seeing, though? What is she I, seeing? I think hers is more of like a sensory thing. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of took it the same distance, way. Sensing distance, that kind of stuff. I don't think it's necessarily the same kind of concept as Jordy's visor. Well, does it tie into her telepathy in any way? What did you guys think of that? No, I thought it was kind of like a sonar. You know, somehow, okay. it t- you know, go left, go right, there's something in front of you, that type of thing. That, so that's dare, what I daredevil thought. Daredevil blindness is what we're talking about. All right, all right. I, I, I think so. Yeah, it's it it doesn't allow you to see, but you get signals, you know, mm-hmm. that pushes you left, right, up, down, that type of... that. That's what I thought. It could be... Well, who knows what it was meant to be? What did, what did that magic book you were reading there, Haley, say about the outfit? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're pulling this stuff out. I'm going, uh, what book did she read? I don't know any of this. Uh, it didn't have anything in there on that, but I'm in agreement with you, Ken. I think it was more of it allowed her to sense things but not actually see because otherwise when she touches the flower that has the thorn on it, she would have seen the thorn because Jordy would see the thorn. I didn't even think about that. That's she, 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 she. That's the whole reason she got pricked by the thorn. She couldn't see it. Interesting. That all makes sense. That checks out to me. I, I for an episode that uh, had lots of point of view shots, though, I was surprised we never got to see her point of view. I mean, obviously, special effects were you know were, were premium in the '60s, uh, so they didn't they didn't have the money to show that. But you know, you get a lot of point of view shots. Like you put the visor on, you see Kodos. Kod- I did it again. Kodos, Kolos, whatever. Uh, so why I don't know. why was why was Kirk still in the transporter room when they beamed out? Hmm. Oh. Hmm. No, he didn't leave, and Spock put the visor on because they show the red thing, and, Maybe and he off was they go, and then the they left visor. together. Yeah, but that wouldn't matter. Yeah, that because wouldn't matter for still human. go by. The whole reason that she can wear it is because she's blind, and Spock can wear it is because he's a Vulcan. But even with the the visor's like a last resort for humans, but even then, it's dangerous. So I, that's a good point. It was just a weird thing. I, th- I noticed at the very end, I was like, oops, they kind of missed that piece. Because, you know, they made such a clear the passageway. Do this. Yes. Get out of the way. You know? <laughs> and he's even just standing there in the room. In a box. Yeah. No one can be around, I, yeah. even though they're in a box. <laughs> Speaking of Kirk, though, he does he does try his charms on, on Dr. Jones, and it does not work. She's, I love what she says. I see you're a very complicated man. <laughs> so when he's trying to put the moves on her in the Arboretum. I'm like, that's good. Kirk being shot. The, the, the Kirk charm doesn't work every time. Not on her. That's for sure. It doesn't work every time by any means, does it? Mm-hmm. There's many times where it's like, nope, you're done. See you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, two, two trips to uh, the Enterprise for Dynamo Dar. I, I did want to point out that whenever there's a repeat guest star like this who plays a different uh, part the second time, it turns out great. You had Mark Leonard as the Romulan commander, obviously, in the first season, and then as Sarek in season two and onward in the movies and whatnot. Uh, and then you had Morgan Woodward, uh, who played Dr. Van Gelder in Dagger of the Mind, and then uh, uh, Captain Ron Tracy in the Omega Glory. Two very different characters. And again, great to- uh, great performances both times. So uh, you'd think that, you know, I don't know, in this day and age, that kind of recasting wouldn't happen and would be distracting. But, you know, in episodic TV in the 60s, it was pretty commonplace. And, and I feel like, man, these are some iconic great characters every time with, with all three of these guys coming back twice. 
Mm-hmm. It happened in TNG quite a few times too, and uh, you know I'm trying to think. Was it William Campbell? The uh, oh, there you go, Alana uh, Troyes and good yeah. call, yeah, of, of Koloth. Koloth, 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 yeah, Koloth in Trouble Tribbles, and of course Trelane in the Squire Gotha. So there's another one, Ken. Good, good call there. Yeah, there's probably a few more out there if we were to really dig. But uh, yeah, you're right though. When when things go by for years and you're not able to um, just show it up there on Netflix. It made a big difference back then, you know. It would always be one of those things, that person seems familiar, but you can't really, be, you know. Oh, let's put on Google. Oh, that's 45 years from now. Never mind. See, IMDb has ruined so many fun conversations. You're like, oh, no, I, I know this guy. He was in something. We're going to figure it out. And somebody's <laughs> like, no, I'll just pull out my phone. I'll figure it out in five seconds. We want something else. But, uh... Yep, yep, yep. I love seeing arguments, too, that go on and on and on, which could be answered if somebody would just do that you just kind of stand in the background and go okay <laughs> see, cell phones solve all conflicts and all you know real life and in movies cell phones would solve everything so uh, but see, it's better yeah. than the whole falling asleep and then you know just as you're falling asleep it comes to you and then you can't tell the person mm-hmm. that's right you immediately text them uh, <laughs> they were wrong you were right that's what's important all right so i had my kiddo grab the book if y'all want the book it is the book. It is called The Trek Encyclopedia. I picked it up at the library. For Dr. Jones, on her clothing, it does say uh, they were sensor nets. So kind of a sonar like, uh, like Ken was saying. So there you have it. Anybody, I will, I will put up a picture in the feed when this episode drops of the book if anybody else wants to go and see and find it by john peel it's very old <laughs> it's been well loved you can tell okay well there it is so fast forwarding to the to the 24th century we, we touched on a little bit at the beginning of the episode but Diana Maldarshi came on a tng in season two with dr Pulaski, her third star trek doctor in a row and i i like dr Pulaski more than dr crusher i'll just say it here i think dr crusher they, she had she had two defining characteristics, and it was she has in some weird will they won't they with Captain Picard, and she's Wesley's mom. Anything beyond that, Gates McFadden brought to the table. She was like, "Hey, I like to dance, I like to do theater, I like to do other things." You know, she was Crusher was kind of underserved as a character beyond her relationship to Picard and Wesley. I thought, uh, and so you bring in Doctor Pulaski, and she she's dynamic. You know, she's she she speaks up for herself. She kind of she's doing her own thing, even even from the first episode. She establishes she has her own way about doing things. Um, she has the relationship with Riker's dad that everybody likes joking about. Uh, you know, we have that going on. Uh, she has a great relationship with Worf. You know, they have this mutual respect thing. It's probably, like, one of her best scenes is when, like, Worf gets sick and then she does this Klingon tea ceremony, you know, with them and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I just found Pulaski a, a, a refreshing uh, new presence on the crew because she was a little – she was kind of a newcomer and kind of shook things up a little bit. Uh, with data as well, I know people criticize that for being too much like, um, too much like McCoy and Spock. But I mean, I if you think think of it this way, if you showed up at some place of work and there was a robot there that everybody treated like a person, you'd be like, whoa, 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 what is this all about? You know, I know you guys have had a year to acclimate to this guy, but I'm new and this guy's just he's a machine, he's a tool, but not a tool in the technical sense, not in the personality sense. So I don't know, I I I see no problem with her, and then. You know, by the end of the season, she is advocating for Data, like in peak performance. You know, she stands up for him and stuff like that. So I feel like unintentionally there was even a little character arc for her in the second season. So I liked her a lot. 
it was great to see Gates McFadden back because she had, was there from the beginning, so there was that continuity. But I, I don't know. Like, the, the whole Doctor Switch, there's a lot behind-the-scenes stuff going on there. I'm just saying, if you just take her, take them, taking them as they are, I think Pulaski was a better character, frankly. Except for when she consistently calls Data Data. Like, really? You can she only does that right. for a couple episodes. She only does that for a couple episodes. I don't care. <laughs> Not a Pulaski fan. Not a Pulaski fan, huh? Well, it, you know, like I said, she was a, she was a big swing for the character, and it, Star Trek TNG hadn't found its footing well, right? It had some pretty good episodes in the first season, but not a lot. And the second season was still kind of trying to find itself, and you could tell that it was it was scratching and clawing trying to find that right sense of chemistry with the doctor and the ship and and the captain and the crew and all that other stuff and they felt they just didn't have it with gates and i thought diana moldar's character was fine mature woman you know brought a lot of experience could tell the captain to to you know um wasn't i guess she stood her ground right she was like mccoy in that sense i know there was a lot of comparisons to mccoy she didn't like the transporter all that stuff but overall, I th- I thought it was fine. It, it didn't it didn't serve the show well, to be honest with you. It just didn't. It, you know, there is no what what mom leaves their son on a starship. <laughs> I mean, who does that? I mean, I mean that that's horrible. I, I mean, if you think about it on its face, that's a terrible thing to do. Uh, you know, the 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 danger, the risk, and all that stuff. And I get the whole family thing, but. You know, it just was like, well, not a lot of people were gravitating towards this kid in the in the beginning. Now it's even it's even tougher. So I, I'm glad that by season three it kind of got back to the way it was, and I think it 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 pulled the show back together to a degree. But the um, the reasons that it struggled was not because the character itself was a bad character or anything along those lines. She was just different, and she had a she had a good personality. And I think TNG does very very well when the main cast of characters are challenged right when when everything's just going fine the shows are good and all that other stuff but i, I always liked it when the when the top four or five got challenged and she challenged them all so i thought she um she did a good job and you know it's like i said it's, it's one of those things where i think if they didn't pull gates mcfadden back it, it would have left that a bigger hole as the as the time went on in my opinion fair enough fair enough so yeah, so there you go. That's that's kind of Doctor Pulaski's tenure on TNG. She never came back after season two. Unfortunately, Dana Muldar didn't have the best time apparently working on on TNG. She said this in some interviews. You know, apparently Michael Dorn. You know, you could see it on screen. Her chemistry with Worf was like the one guy that she kind of connected with. But you know, she really felt like an outsider the rest of the time. And there was a lot of probably unfair attitudes towards her, like replacing because she wasn't Gates McFadden. She wasn't Doctor Crusher. She was replacing a friend of theirs. You know, so you know, it wasn't. Uh, wasn't the happy TNG family that we all know of in season two. So unfortunately she didn't have the best experience and really just wasn't, especially when Gene Roddenberry had stepped away from the everyday operation and ultimately passed away. She was really never interested in coming back to Star Trek. So that was the end of Dr. Pulaski there. And, but she went on to a lot of other great things in, in television. Uh, as I understand, I never watched LA law, but apparently she had a big role over there and I think won an Emmy and had, had a lot of a big television career, and then apparently her character died by stepping into an empty elevator shaft and falling to the, <laughs> to the <laughs> bottom. Right. So that's, right. that's yeah. been the joke around Star Trek fanon that Dr. Velasky walked into an empty turbo lift and fell, <laughs> fell down the shaft. So anyway, but yeah, she you know great actress, very accomplished, and uh, I'm 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 glad to have her a part of Star Trek. Yeah, I think she, I think her legacy is secure, and she, you know it's it's kind of cool. 
just like when you have some of those actors um, who, who, who've bridged the gap, and even when they were able to play the, the same character, you know, John Colico is a great example, you know, you know, it, it just, even, even William Campbell himself, uh, any of them that came back and, and were able to, to, I guess, reinvigorate, reinvigorate their roles. But if they, even Darwin himself, right, came back and yes, Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think as far as um, having a successful run and being thought positively, I would say she's probably thought of holistically more positively for her two episodes of TOS than her season-long run on TNG, and that's a shame because it wasn't her fault. You know, she was selected. She did the job she could. She was given a character to play. I thought she did a good job with it, and, you know— it, there, there is nothing wrong. It, it kind of circles back to everything we were talking about in is in their truth, no beauty. That you had a an older, more mature doctor who was pretty set in her ways, you know, kind of curmudgeonly and all that other stuff. And for whatever reason, it's okay for guys to play that role, but it isn't for women. And they went back to the younger, attractive woman. So that is one thing. It's like, you know, things did evolve, but how far did they evolve? Because fandom wasn't up for it. Well, Diana Meldar and her roles on Star Trek aren't the only thing we're talking about this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm. Literary Treks. Not to sound, you know, too high on oneself, but I was special when we were the only ship in the Delta Quadrant, and now we're just back, and it's not as great as you think. It almost feeds into that Voyager theme of it's not the destination that matters, it's the journey, because, you know, once you get there, it's not as amazing as you think it was going to be. This reminds me so much of the rescue of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> I love it. Standard Orbit. Anson Mount, our new Captain Pike, was wandering around in the vendor's room, and... I saw him, he passed by me within like inches and was walking around and looking at different different booths and stuff. I went up to his handler and I said, I, I have these bookmarks, I made these bookmarks, would it be okay if I gave him one? I don't want to bother him, I don't want to interrupt him. Cause... And she's like, yeah. And at that point he had turned around and I got to shake his hand, I gave him a bookmark. He is incredibly nice. Warp five. He seems upset that she doesn't want to go to the movie. Now let's get back to the episode here. But he's, he's always like upset offended. when she doesn't want to go. Because he yeah. wants date night with her. He does. And then and then Archer just swoops in and is like, you're my date. And she's like, what? <laughs> you're coming with me. We're going to the movies. God, that look on her face. She's like, no. No. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm slash contact. And look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference, 
Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek FM and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. Yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. <laughs>